So I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to because I'm going to use it towards the end of the sermon. So just bear with me. If you don't want to hear it, you don't have to. But, you know, we were on vacation the other week, and usually on vacation for us, something always happens. You know, there was a Yellow Jacket story once, and then there was a, I don't know, just something always happens. And it usually always happens around the first day. So I'm going to just share you this story because it's me putting myself out there. It's kind of like um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote the Gospels, right? But they didn't put themselves like in that hero's position. They, they, you know, they didn't come off as real tough guys at times. And neither did I <laughs> in this story. So our plans changed this one day. And so we're like, well, we can't do that. And so just on a whim, we're like, well, let's do this. Let's go on a hike. And so we like to hike. And, you know, our, our, idea of hiking is is where there's a path you know and you look at things and then you kind of end up in an overlook and I usually get panicky on the overlooks because I'm terrified of heights not as much as Kim but mostly and our son Ben is not terrified of anything and so we often go down south where the overlooks and the, the big rocks you stand on are kind of sandy and a little slippery you know so I'm always like dude back up a little bit and and you know, and so we decided we were in New Hampshire, and we said, well, let's go on this hike. And so we did, totally unprepared, no water, no anything. Becca was the only one that had on her hiking shoes. I had on flip-flops, and, but I'm thinking we're just going to spend half a day. We'll go look, and it'll be fun. And so we walk about, what, maybe 100 yards, and it kind of went like this, and then it went like that. And it was all rocks, like rocks like this. And so we're, we're being kind of careful, and and Kim has a tendency to fall all the time. She's just kind of clumsy like that. So we do take turns watching her. <laughs> and then it, oh, and we met this guy, right? On the, he was coming down. And I'm like, what do you think about this path? He goes, oh, yeah, go up. It gets a little steep, but you'll be fine. Take the orange path down. It's much easier. And I'm like, he's wearing flip-flops. Should be okay. Not a problem. I, truth be told, I don't think he actually went up. I think he was just standing there, but anyways. So we don't really know where we're at on this path, like how far to get to the top, but it just seems like now all we're doing is climbing and climbing. Like John Tate, I know you like to hike, but this wasn't a hike. This was a climb. Like, I mean, we're literally, we're climbing, right? Like, I'm not making this up. And, then, and so then we get to this, like, huge boulders that you have to kind of climb around, and then you walk up them, and they've got this incline, and I'm like, all right, we must be close to the top. And the difference between the, the New Hampshire is the rocks are granite, so there's a little grip to them. So, all right. Well, then we get to another one. I'm like, man. And it just keeps getting steeper, and these boulders keep protruding out more, and there's more of a view, so now I can start seeing more, and I'm just like, I don't know. And what, about the fourth or fifth one of these, we're like, where is the top of this mountain thing? It's called Mount Major. And there's some people coming down, and they've got kids, and I'm like, this can't be that hard. And there's some people passing us too, you know? And by this time, Kim has two walking sticks. And I get to a point where it's like, Kim, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not too sure. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. You should see right now, I'm all anxious. <laughs> I don't know about this, Kim. I don't know what we should keep doing. And it's, and it's like, well, we've come this far. We've got to be close. So, all right, let's climb over another one of these boulders. And then, like, on this one here, where I was kind of like, I don't know, 
you could really see out. I should put some pictures. You could really see out above this lake and everything. And I'm like, I don't like this. Maybe we should go down. No, we can't go down. We've got to be close. And another one, I thought we were at the top. Well, finally, these people passed this and were like, what do you think? They're like, we don't know. We're going to keep going. And finally, we get to one where I'm like, I can see everything out there, and I'm not happy with where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not happy at all. Like, I'm in panic mode now. And, and in just a few minutes from now, I don't realize what I'm going to do, but I'm about ready to pull out my wallet and give somebody my man card. Because here I hear some music, and it's like classical music, and these two guys come up, and they walk right past this, and I'm like, hey, man, do you know where the top is? And they're like, no, we, we don't really know. And, and, and well, I'm sitting like this on the side of this mountain, and this huge rock is protruding over, and I can see everything, and I'm freaked out, panicky. Even, even Kim said, I've never seen you like that. I said, nope, never been like that either. Not in front of you guys. And so this guy, like it was really funny because these are young guys and he's got his classical music playing. He just climbs right up and he goes. And I'm like, I don't know. I told the guy, I said, I, I, we're just trying to make a decision whether we go down. And this is like, we're what, two hours into it now? Like, like there's really no turning back. And I'm thinking to myself, how, who do we call to get somebody to come help us? Like, how's that work in New Hampshire? Like, what do we do? And... So as I'm kind of panicking, and, and this guy comes back, and I found out his name. His name is Renault. And I, he goes, hey, man, he goes, look, this is the top. He goes, all I got to do is just walk up that rock. And I said, well, Renault. I said, what's your name? He goes, Renault. I said, Renault, I can't. <laughs> he goes, well, take those flip-flops off. So I said, I, I can't. You don't get it. I can't move. <laughs> like, this flip-flops have nothing to do with it right now. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm panicked. And I told him, I said, I'm afraid of heights. I'm just, I'm scared, man. And he goes, look, just all you got to do is this. And out of my peripheral, I see Ben, our son. He's like walking on this rock. And I'm like, I don't even care. At this point, it's all about me. <laughs> and Becca gets up on the rock. And it still doesn't like, like process that, hey, I should just get up on the rock too. Because this rock is, is huge. And, and so Renault kind of talked me into coming up, and then I was just like, all right, I'm out, I'm done. And Becca followed me. I kind of ran. I got my feet stuck. My flip-flops came off, but I got up top. And in the meantime, in my panicky voice, I was like, can you go back and get my wife? You're going to need to hold her hand because she falls. We're going to go get her. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there, guys. <laughs> You're my family, right? Yeah. And so he goes back, and I see Ben pulling up mom, and then they just walk up this rock, and I'm like, you big show off. But Ben's fearless, right? I'm not, so, so anyways, I had to get to talking to the guy, and you know what? The, Renault was very nice and helpful. I mean, he could have made fun of me and laughed at me, and he probably did, and that's okay. But he's like, I used to be a ropes instructor, so I get it. He goes, I'm not afraid of heights, but I am afraid of falling. And I said, well, I'm afraid of both. And, but again, we had no water or nothing. And I, I mean, we are dying, tired and everything. And, and, um, but I did. I, I, I gave him my man card. I, I gave up. I needed help. And then on the way down, he goes, well, it's going to be easier. You do that orange path. He goes, but it gets a little dicey in this one section. The one section was the entire path. <laughs> it was all boulders. It was called boulder. We walked. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is nice, Kim. This is, isn't this nice? 
And then it was just down, boulders, you know, but, but we made it down and everything. And so we were, we were talking, I said, kids, today your dad, you know, he, 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 he panicked, you know. But sometimes you got to ask for help. Um, and then, like, a few days into it, because we made a joke about it, because, you know, I have to now. I have to pretend like I did that on purpose. But Ben said something that was very interesting. He goes, Dad, you told Renault to go hold your mom's hand, and mom's married. So I had to go down and get her. I was like, Ben, you're the man, dude. So anyways, that's our story. I'm going to tie that a little bit into the sermon, but... <laughs> Life is always an adventure, and if you ever find yourself stuck, don't be afraid to ask. It's, it's okay. So, um, but today's sermon, today's sermon, the title of today's message is called Jesus, Peter, and Your First New Car. So what do these three things have in common? Well, I'm going to tell you. Think back when you purchased your first new car brand new car. And then maybe it wasn't brand new, but it was, it was new to you, right? Like, like you did your shopping, you, you saved up your money, and you went in and you talked to this guy, and, 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 and you bought the car. First big ticket item you've ever purchased. You know? And I remember mine. Mine was a 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger in 1985. The car was 15 years old. It had 32,000 miles on it. My grandfather had got it from his brother who had passed away, and he wanted to sell it to me. So I bought the car. My dad taught me how to change the oil and the spark plugs and the routine maintenance. You, some of you guys remember when you used to be able to work on your cars, like when there wasn't 15 different computers on them? You went to the library, and you got a book, and the book told you what to do because every car was the same pretty much. And so I took care of it, washed it, waxed it, all this stuff. Loved that car. And like maybe many of you are thinking, yeah, until I got that first ding or that first scratch or that first blemish. And, and you're kind of, you know, you get, kind of get used to it, but it kind of loses its, you know, the way you cherished it. And in my case, I hit a deer. <laughs> hit a deer. And it was a big deer, man. But, but you know, a, a, a Dodge Dart, it didn't, it didn't damage the bumper whatsoever. But it did crunch up the hood and everything. And my dad and I went to the, a junkyard, and we got a hood, a grill, and another couple of front-end pieces for $25. Insurance company gave me 1000 So, And we fixed the car back up. But, but you know what? It really wasn't quite the same. The, the hood wasn't the same shade of green as the car, and it wasn't as... You know, the, the paint just wasn't as, 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 like, shiny. It was a little duller. And I just didn't have that same feel to it, you know? As a matter of fact, I kind of stopped taking care of it after that as much as I did. And, and really, eventually, I ended up driving the car into the ground. And years later, I sold it for $50. I could barely get it to the guy. Man, it was like it was a death trap. The front end was a mess. But if I knew then... What I know now about classic cars, Henry, Mike, right? Like, ugh. And that guy was probably like, ooh, 50 bucks. I will come get it. Does this sound familiar to anybody? anybody kinda? And maybe, maybe for you it wasn't a, a car. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a bicycle. Maybe it was a motorcycle or a boat or something, a <laughs> house, you know? 
The story I'm talking about was about a six or seven year stretch I had this car. And throughout the years, it slowly became something that I no longer cherished. I just used it as a means to get from where I needed to go, from one point to another. And in all honesty, there were things that I could have done on my end to extend the life of that car, but I chose not to. The chapters of life that I had with that car are a good analogy that we're going to use today about our relationship with Jesus. And we're going to look at a guy in the Gospels, somebody whose character that I have really grown to love. And his name is Peter. That's right, Jesus, Peter, in your first car. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. And from day one, Peter was sold out for Jesus. I, I think, I personally think, that his dedication to Jesus might have exceeded the others. That's just me, me here. But I've really been looking at, at Peter. A number of years ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to start paying attention to Jesus, how he did ministry, how he did life, how he, how he kind of operated on the, the day-to-day. And I, I did that for a number of years. And actually, for the past more than a year, I've really been looking at Peter. I like Peter. I think Peter gets a bad rap. We, we look at him as like this bumbling guy that was saying things he shouldn't have said and doing things and just, you know. Peter was dedicated to Jesus. And, and beyond that, his journey with Jesus had a lot of ups and downs that we can look at, you know, much like ours. So I want to start out by, by taking a look at the beginning of his journey with Jesus. And that's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 18. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, so his first name was Simon, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Next chapter, he sees James and John, and he says the same thing to them. And they look at their dad, and he says, go, go, follow him. Now, if you back up to verse 17, we can read and see that that Jesus had already been preaching. So he wasn't just like this stranger that came up to Peter and Andrew and was like, come follow me. I'll show you how to catch people. (laughs) He had been preaching a message that went like this. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very simple message, very simple act on our part. That was his message. And so I'm pretty sure that Peter and Andrew, James and John, these guys have been been hearing this message from this man. And and you know, Jesus brought the kingdom of God to life. He, He preached it in a way that it wasn't religious anymore. It was relational. And people's ears were perking up. Like, this is different. This is real. There's a hunger within human nature that is connected to the kingdom of God that we don't realize is there until the connection happens. And that's what was taking place. But not really much of a sales pitch, right? Come follow me. I'll teach you how to catch people. You wouldn't say that these days. Right, Scott? You wouldn't say that. You know, you want to make, help you make fishers of men and fishers of people or, or fish or whatever. 
But there's something about this man, Jesus, that caused them to drop everything they were doing. Peter was married. And this was his living as a fisherman. And he left it. You know, hey, Kim, remember that guy that was, that was preaching, uh, you know, along uh, Main Street there for a little bit? We were like, yeah, that's a good message. I met him today, and he said to follow him, and so I'm going to quit my job and follow him. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that was a conversation. Peter, what about our livelihood? Oh, I don't know. He's going to help me catch people. What are you going to do? I don't know. Now let's dial things in a little bit more with Peter, and let's take a look at his first adventure with Jesus that shows us how dedicated he is to Jesus and how much he understands he really needs Jesus. So this is in the Gospel of Matthew, again, in chapter 14, and it starts in verse 22. And many of us are familiar with this story. Many sermons have been written about this story. But this is, this is a great story. I'm going to try to hit as much about Peter as I can today. But listen to this, Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, and we'll get to the after this in a minute, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning... Jesus came toward them walking on water. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Come, Jesus says. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. So let's kind of break this down for a second. First of all, what does it say the disciples were? Scared. Before they even saw Jesus, they were scared. Now, the disciples were not wimpy guys. These weren't a bunch of wimps in a boat that didn't know what to do when a storm came. They fished for a living, and they fished overnight for a living. I'm pretty sure they knew what to do when a storm would come. But this storm was probably maybe a little worse than the others. Now, prior to this, Jesus spent the entire day preaching to thousands of people, healing everybody he came in contact with because he had compassion on them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, preaching the kingdom of God, all kinds of things that they had never, I mean, their, their, their hearts are open and they're receiving what he has to say. And miracles are taking place all day long. <clears throat> and then he feeds them, 5,000 people. Just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And he didn't have to, but he wanted to. Miracle. And then it's over with. And he insists. This is how I picture it. You know, after the service, the pastor usually stands by the door and he greets people on their way out. And, well, Jesus said, hey, guys, go. No, we'll be here with you. No, I insist. Go. 
And then it says, as Jesus sent the people away. So people were lined up to talk to him. This probably took hours. And then he went away into the hills to spend time with the Father. Now, this is just me kind of bringing the story maybe to life a little bit, but staying within the confines of the story, all right? That's a very important part of the scriptures. I think the disciples were on, like, spiritual overload. Like, they were in this boat. Just think about the conversations and the healing. And the, I know the fish keep coming out of the basket and same with the bread and all this stuff. And Jesus, well, he was probably tired, but at the same time, like, preached all day, healed people, talked to people. He's on probably some kind of, like, overload, needs to rest as well. So he goes to spend time with the Father. I don't know if he was napping or sleeping a little bit. Years ago, I used to read the scriptures like this. Jesus probably disappeared, caused that storm so he could walk out there and save the disciples. And maybe he did. I think, or I wonder, if maybe, it's 3 a.m. Now, not a whole lot of people are always awake at 3 a.m. He might have been sleeping. He might have fallen asleep earlier and then waked up, woke up. Is it possible that an angel or the Holy Spirit said, hey, Jesus, the boys need you. There's a storm out there. And he's like, what, what? I think I've got to go out there. Well, how am I going to go out there? Well, there's only one way. Got to walk. I, you know, I, I don't really know what really transpired. But if I'm being honest with the way I've kind of been like studying the scriptures, I almost wonder if that's how it happened. But could, could not, I don't know. But I'm just throwing that out there to bring it to life a little bit. And then they see Jesus and they think he's a ghost. I mean, like when was the last time anybody saw somebody walking on water? And not just like water. Like here's another funny story on our vacation. We rented a boat and we rent boats a lot, but I don't really dock them all the time. I'm not, you know, like... I'm just, I just drive around on the lake. So we thought we docked because we we're going to get up and get something to eat while well, the waves are choppy and everything. And I tried three or four times. And I'm like, by this time, people are looking and I'm getting aggravated. And they just drove away. And Kim wanted to get me a shirt that said, I'm sorry for the things I said while we were docking the boat. <laughs> That's good now. Think about Jesus coming to waves or whipping around the wind. And he's, he's like walking on, you know? Then Jesus says, guys, don't be afraid. It's me. They're all like, like, like they're terrified, guys. Don't be afraid. What does Peter say? Jesus, if that's you, call me out there with you. I want to be where you're at, Jesus. Everybody else, what did they say? Well, in the scriptures, clearly nothing. They didn't say anything. I kind of picture them huddled in the boat like, what are we going to do? I don't know. What are we going to do? We're going to drown. We're all going to drown. Peter said, call me out there, Jesus. Now, this is where Peter starts becoming the disciple that I really admire. You want to know why? Because Peter is the risk taker that we all want in our circle of friends. Here's the dedication to Jesus that Peter has. Jesus, I don't want to be in this boat during this storm. I want to be where you are at. Call me out there. 
Peter didn't ask Jesus to calm the storm. He said, I want to be where you are at. How many of us, when life gets stormy, ask Jesus to call us to him? How many of us, when life gets stormy, ask Jesus to calm the storm? Take this away from me. Keep me safe. Protect my family. Bring some peace. Remove me from this. And we can learn something from Peter here. Like the next time that life gets scary or life gets stormy, life gets rocky, we're dealing with things we we didn't think we'd be dealing with. Maybe we could take a note from Peter here. Jesus, I'm scared, man. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how... I can get our marriage back on track. I don't know how we're going to pay the mortgage. I've got my, my, my son, my daughter, they've, they've just they've gone off the rail. I don't know what to do, Jesus. I don't know what to do. The finances, I don't know, Jesus. The diagnosis, you're in the hospital. Jesus, what do I do? I don't know. Jesus, take this from me. Maybe we should say, Jesus, where are you? Because I need to be where you are at. Because Jesus, if it's the Jesus that I follow, is the one who leads us through the storms. Right? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus, lead me through this. I need to be with you right now. We're always looking for the way out, right? I want peace. I don't want to deal with this. Take this from me. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, lead me to you. I want to walk on that water. Call me out to you. And then as soon as he did, what happened? He started whoa, this is really happening, and he began to sink. And this is where tons of sermons are written. He took his eyes off Jesus. He, he focused on the storms, he, you know, all of that stuff. We don't really know what really happened with Peter. Maybe there was fear. Maybe there was doubt. Maybe there was, you know, am I really doing this? I can't be doing this, really. Is this really happening? And he began to sink. And, and I, think Jesus was, I think Jesus was laughing at him. Peter, why, you, why, you, why did you doubt me? Where's your faith? You asked to come out here. I brought you out here with me. Now you're sinking. Come on. Let's get back in the boat. Now, I don't know if that's how it, it, it worked out, but, but it, Peter was the only one that said, Jesus, I want to be where you're at. You know, sometimes, sometimes we tend to lose some of that dedication that we have for Jesus in the eye of the storm and we give up on him right Jesus you're you're not I don't sense your presence I don't I don't know what's going on here and we give up on Jesus when he's right there see as soon as Peter began to walk on the water then the doubt crept in. The, what am I really doing here, crept in. And he began to sink. And Jesus says it was a lack of faith. You know, why didn't you trust me? 
Why do we have a tendency to not trust Jesus in the worst parts of our lives? Because we, we don't feel him? We sense him? I'm going to Psalm 23. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Later on in, in uh, you know, and, and, and also, like, isn't that just like us too? Like, we're all in for Jesus, but then when life gets hard, we, we dial it back some. And is it, is it fear? Is it doubt? Is the enemy getting into our heads? Is it the fact that we don't know how we're going to get through this situation? You know, I don't know what it is. But sometimes we forget about Jesus, and then we, we start doing it in our own strength, and it never works out the way we anticipate it. Now, later on in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus comes up to his disciples. And he says, hey, guys, uh, you know, out on the streets, who are people, who do people say I am? And they give him a couple answers, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this, some say you're that. He says, yeah, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Listen to Peter's reply. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed. Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. And then he names him Peter. This is the moment he says, from here on out your name will be Peter, which means rock, and upon this testimony I will build my church. Upon this rock I will build my church. Not upon Peter I will build my church. On Upon the confession that I am the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God, I will build my church. That is the confession. That is the testimony that the church grows on. There's nothing else the church should be growing on except for the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins, nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, and rose from the dead. That's the testimony that the church is built on. And Jesus, a Peter, was the one who answered that question. Peter wasn't afraid to answer. I think he kind of knew what was up. The rest of them were like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. But a few verses later, though, in the New Living Translation, which I read from, it says this. Then Jesus began to speak plainly to the disciples. He was no longer speaking in parables. He was no longer speaking in things that they had to kind of figure out. He began speaking plainly to them, and he begins telling them, listen, we've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm about to suffer. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise back from the dead. Look at Peter's response. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. Now, lesson learned here, don't reprimand Jesus. Apparently, he doesn't like that. <laughs> get away from me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. But, but Peter was like, okay, so... This is where we, we kind of, like, like I used to think, well, no, Peter, you, you big goof. Let Jesus do his thing. But you know what this was? So first of all, Peter literally reprimands Jesus. Hey, Jesus, stop talking like that. 
I spent three years with you. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. This is, you're, you're, you're bringing us down, bro. Peter missed the part about coming back to life. That last part of the sentence was the one he was supposed to cling to. But to me, this is Peter being protective of his friend Jesus, whom he admires, whom he loves, who is teaching him things about the kingdom. Hey, Jesus, don't talk like that, man. And the lesson we can learn from Peter here is that Jesus says, hey, listen, Peter, Satan, you're looking at this from a human perspective. This is another part about School of Kingdom Ministries that we will learn about. This was, hey, did you guys like Michael Hansen and, and Wade Coffee? They're here the past couple of weeks. You know, naturally supernatural was what Michael taught on, and Wade, Wade moves in the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is, Sockham brings this stuff to life. We are a natural and a supernatural human being. And Peter was thinking in the natural right now. Jesus was saying, listen, you've got to think supernatural, Peter. Like beyond what, what you see and feel right now. And sometimes, this is time, Peter, to be kingdom-minded. But sometimes there's more to a situation than we allow ourselves to think about. Like, right, we just see what's in front of us. We don't really understand that what God could be doing in the midst of our storm. Remember that first car that we bought, right? We, we were sold out to it, dedicated to keeping it nice. We were attached to it. Maybe, maybe somewhat protective of it, like, hey, don't, hey, you're touching my car. But then things happen. And in our lives, with Jesus, life happens. And we begin dealing with things that, well, we never thought we'd be dealing with. And we find ourselves becoming a little bit more distant to that which we loved so much. Remember, Peter walked away from everything to follow Jesus. Imagine the things that he had seen in three years. And now Jesus is talking about suffering and being put to death? Like, no. That's the, Peter, Jesus, this is not what I signed up for. This is not how this is going to end. But read, let's read this in Luke chapter 22. Verse 31. Simon, Simon. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He refers to him as his birth name now. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, a little foreshadow there, right? Strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison for you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter, now, Peter is the guy that will die for those that he loves. Even when the religious leaders come to arrest Jesus, Peter drew his sword and cut one of the high priest's servant's ears off. Jesus picked it up and healed it. Again, Peter is the guy I want by my side. Peter wasn't just flying off the handle here. Peter was protecting Jesus. 
and his friends. Here, one of their very own, Judas, comes leading the religious leaders to arrest Jesus. And Peter's like, no, you're going to have to go through me first. And now I want to read what, what I call one of the most touching passages. We're going to read a verse, and then we'll read a little bit more. Luke 22, verse 54. So Jesus is arrested. And we're going to get to the third time Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Peter's moving around some campfires in the courtyard of the religious leader's house. So they arrested Jesus, led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. Where was Peter? At a distance. Where was Peter in the middle of the storm? Jesus, I want to be where you're at. This is the biggest storm that has ever happened with Peter right now and he's following at a distance yeah he probably was keeping his distance maybe to, to, to you know keep his safety but he wasn't worried about his safety before he's at a distance he's now distancing himself from Jesus the sense of adventure has changed and now there is legitimate fear and doubt to what Peter has put all his faith into these past three years they just arrested him I can see them punching him. They're spitting on him. They're, they're accusing him. This isn't right, but this is so real. And now he's literally denying that he knows Jesus. Like, where is the, Lord, if that's you, call me out where you're at guy? Where is the, I will go wherever you go, Jesus guy? Because look at this. In verse 59, this is the, this is the third time he denies Jesus. About an hour later, someone else insisted. This must be one of them too because he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. That's the third time he denied Jesus. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is the most gut-wrenching verse for me. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus is bleeding. He's being punched. He's being accused. He's all of this stuff. He's spit on his face. Jesus says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. And Jesus looks over at him. Now, this is the same guy that would say he would go to prison for Jesus. Jesus, I'll die for you. And at that moment, Jesus looks at him. I meditate on this scene a lot. First of all, Jesus already knew this was going to happen. The Holy Spirit told Jesus, the Father told Jesus, this is what's going to happen. Can you let Peter know? I mean, Satan's going to mess with him bad along with the others, but I want Peter. I want Peter to know what he's up against. You know, how many times have we distanced ourselves from Jesus when it seemed like everything we've placed our trust in the kingdom is falling apart? How many times do we think, Jesus, you've let me down? Jesus, where, where were you in that moment? And we distance ourselves. You know, Christianity is not about what we feel. It's about what we know. 
We need to know that no matter what we feel, Jesus will always be with us. And I imagine that the look Jesus gave Peter was not one of, I told you. I think it was sadness. And I think it was sadness because Jesus knew the guilt and the shame and the grief and the condemnation and all those other feelings Peter was going to heap upon himself for that. Peter was going to regret this, man. And I bet he did. The ride-or-die guy is gone. This isn't the Peter that everybody has come to know and love, really. The next day, Jesus is crucified, dies, buried. And I believe that that was probably, I mean, all the disciples scattered, but think of Peter. Peter's like, I'm with you, Jesus, till the end. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Now he's dealing with the mind games of the what-ifs and the, all the unknowns. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus rises from the dead. And he was witnessed by hundreds of people. The Apostle Paul records in, in one of the Corinthians that 500 people at once saw him. And he spent time with the disciples. I mean, he walked the earth in his resurrected body. We know this. But there's a beautiful story in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. I'd encourage you to read it this week. Jesus is cooking fish, a fish breakfast on the beach. Peter says, he goes, I'm going to go fishing. I kind of imagine like this. I'm going fishing, guys. And, and, they're like, and, and they join him. I, and they, I just kind of picture it like this. Hey, guys, we got to go, man. Hey, Peter, wait, let's, let's go fishing with Peter. They're coming in, the morning, sun's coming up. There's a guy on the beach. Hey, you guys catch anything? And they say, no, not a thing all night. Put your net over here. Someone says, that's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. These guys pull up 150-some fish. They have a breakfast fish fry that Jesus cooks for them on the beach. And he has this intimate conversation with Peter, just with Peter. And he reassures him. It's going to be all right. I'm with you. Says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I do. He asks him this. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. The closing part of today's sermon is this. And I want to get this very important part of this sermon across. Even when we find ourselves distant from Jesus. Maybe we've even turned our back on him. You let me down, Jesus. Even though we may find ourselves in that position. Finding ourselves on a path that maybe even we never thought we'd go down by decisions we've made and we're like, what do I do now? How did I get here? No matter what we do or what we have done that we think might offend Jesus, he never will distance himself from us. All we must do is turn to him because he is always as close as he always has been. Peter's in a slump. Jesus is like, Peter, it's fine, man. You're good. You're good. You love me. I love you. I never stopped loving you. I never stopped loving you either, Jesus. I just didn't know it. Don't worry about it. Don't, 
Don't explain yourself. Let's enjoy life together. The very first sermons that Jesus preached about were ones of repenting. Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the simplest of messages, and it's the simplest of responses. Peter might have had a, a sense of loss. Oh, we, don't, we don't know. But I'm guessing he had some internal, internal things that, that he was processing, right? And then just like that, there's Jesus. They share a meal together, and all is well again. Out of that conversation, Peter became a leader in the church. All he needed was just that reassurance from Jesus. All I needed was a little reassurance from, from Renell. It's right up here, man. Even though I was scared on the top of that, which, by the way, it was just under 1,800-foot elevation, so, okay, it wasn't just a hill. It was a mountain. Sometimes that's all we need when we don't think we can go any further. Just a little extra push. And that's what Peter got. Peter became a church planter. He was a pastor. He was a teacher. He was an equipper of the saints. He was an author. He wrote books. And in my mind, he's a hero of the kingdom. He failed, but he turned things around. He got them turned around. He trusted in Jesus. He probably thought he failed Jesus. His relationship with Jesus comes full circle. Fully dedicated, distant, denial, fully dedicated. Isn't that like a lot of us? Peter saw where he was at, and he did something about it. So the question that I want to leave everybody here with today is, are we going to join Jesus in the storm? Or are we going to allow the challenges of life to keep us from being fully dedicated to our Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you for people like Peter. I thank you for the lessons we can learn from the Gospels. And God, if this message has, has hit home with anybody here today, as we move into a time of worship, I want to ask that you would speak to them personally on an intimate note and reassure them, God, that all is not lost. It is never lost. Jesus is always as close as he always has been. He never distance, distances himself from us. And so I thank you for that, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.